In the English Standard Version, which I use, the uh, Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor above all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. Uh, this is a case where I actually like the King James Version better. Uh, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And that's the way I want to talk about it this morning. Uh, there's a popular notion around that uh, sex, even between a married couple, is somehow less than holy, uh, less than good, and makes the person who participates in it really less than all he ought to be. And that's just as false as it can be. Uh, God ordained the sexual union between husband and wife in the very beginning of time before sin ever entered the world. He said when he presented Adam, when he presented Eve to Adam, Eve said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And God said, let a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. The expression one flesh used about marriage throughout scripture has to do with the sexual union. One place where that's obvious is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where the apostle Paul said when a person is joined to an harlot he becomes one body with the harlot. So obviously one flesh, one body has to do with the marriage relations that we have as husband and wife. And they are undefiled. The marriage bed is a holy thing. I, I have suggested recently that just as we begin each meal with prayer, it would be appropriate for a husband and wife who are about to engage in sexual union to have a prayer beforehand and thank God for it. It's a gift of God. It's a holy thing. And God blesses those who participate in it within the marriage relationship. The rest of the passage says fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Uh, some people think that fornication is specifically sexual relations between unmarried people and adultery with regard to a marriage person. But that's not exactly correct. Fornication is the broad term that refers to every kind of sexual immorality. Every act of adultery is fornication, but every act of fornication is not adultery because to be adultery, it needs to involve somebody who's married to somebody else. Uh, the Bible in Jude uh, calls the strange flesh, which the uh, people at uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were running after, refers to that as fornication. Fornication is the broad term that includes any kind of sexual immorality. The, uh, do a little bit of historical theology here. The uh, Roman Catholic Church is one which is sort of popularized and it's spread abroad from there to uh, population generally, Christian population at least generally, uh, that uh, uh, marriage even between married people 
it is not the best thing to happen. Uh, as a result of that, uh, people refer to the marriage relationship as the original sin. That the original sin is when husband, when Adam and Eve uh, found each other and had relations with each other. That's not the case at all. As we've already seen, God ordained that and said more specifically, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And all that was said even before any kind of sin was committed. The Bible explicitly says what the first sin was. It was eating the tree that God said don't eat. And uh, the other thing is, is, is not involved in original sin or any other kind of sin uh, at all. As a result of the viewpoint that uh, even marriage relations is a little bit less than good and holy, uh, the Roman church has ordained that uh, birth control is wrong because they believe, have stated, that the only legitimate reason for sex, even between husband and wife, is to bear children. And so if you block the bearing of children, you're blocking every legitimate reason for having those relations. But again, that's simply not true. First Corinthians chapter 7 says, in order to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. And we are to honor that relationship as a means of fulfilling a desire that God has put within us. The desire for sex is just as strong a desire, perhaps even stronger in some cases, uh, than the desire for food and the desire for drink, unless you're really hungry or really thirsty. Uh, it's a very strong urge, especially in younger years. And uh, uh, God has put it there, and he has also given a means by which it can be satisfied and fulfilled by one man, one woman, married to each other and within that relationship. Uh, in addition to the uh, idea of the uh, uh, no birth control, uh, they've also, that's the reason why, the holy ones among them, the monks and the uh, uh, nuns and the priests, are to be celibate. Uh, I've got an article coming out in the next, Magno, in the next uh, preacher talk. Uh, I don't know how many of you get preacher talk and how many don't. Uh, if you would like to get it, all I need is your name and what we call snail mail <laughs> uh, mailing address. Uh, but I've got a, uh, an article about that in which I point out uh, that a lot of the problems in the Catholic Church today with regard to uh, uh, sexual what's the term, involvement with young people and uh, uh, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, comes from the fact that you're putting a large number of men at a time when their sexual desire is at its peak in close relationship with young boys and oftentimes even with young female seminarians and you're expecting nothing to happen. Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's obviously a, a, a asking for trouble, and the trouble has come in abundance, as you know, if you keep up with, with the news. Uh, but you do not have to avoid marriage and sexual relationship within marriage in order to be holy. That's the thing that, they are, that they're missing. One more thing about that. They wanted to elevate Mary 
uh, not only to be the mother of Jesus, but they call her the mother of God. And they have her as a mediatrix, that is, a go-between, like Jesus is a mediator, between man and God. And you can pray to Mary, and Mary will intercede on your behalf. And obviously, they say, uh, a mother can intercede better before her son than the average person can. So it's really better to pray through Mary than it is to pray through Jesus. But they wanted to elevate her that high, and that, as all of us know, was not, not only not necessary, not biblical, not, not true, not correct. Mary is a faithful, godly, Christian woman who was chosen above all others to bear Jesus in his fleshly form and bring him into the world. But the rest of that is simply additions that have been made. But not long ago, well, I say not long ago, a couple, several decades ago, uh, the Pope declared ex cathedra, that is, with absolute assurance of truth, that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She not only did not know her husband, Joseph, until after Jesus was born, she never had relations with him. Uh, the suggestion of scripture is very different from that. For one thing, the word until is used. And the Bible says that uh, uh, Mary was impregnated when she was a virgin. And she said, I've never known a man. The Bible, the angel said, that's right. What's in you is a result of, of the action of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you'll have a child and he'll be the savior of the world and the son of God. Uh, and she accepted that and knew that and through her life pondered all that that meant as she saw what else happened to Jesus. Uh, but as good as she was, uh, the fact that, that she later had regular sexual relations with her husband Joseph didn't make her any less holy or any less available or possible for any other honor that was rightly uh, bestowed uh, upon her. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus had brothers and sisters, and it even names the brothers. And the obviously log logical uh, answer to who those were would be later children of Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born. And the Bible says specifically that Joseph did not have, did not know Mary, you know what that means, did not know Mary until Jesus was born. That until Jesus is born implies at least that after that, relations began. And uh, the point I simply want to make at this point is that the marriage bed is undefiled when it involves a husband and a wife married to each other. And we ought to recognize that, honor it that way, and praise God for the opportunity that gives us to uh, enjoy to love, to show our love in a unique and special way, and uh, to honor God in the doing so because God commands it. You may remember that God said to us, as a husband, don't deprive your wives of conjugal relations. To husbands, to wives, don't deprive your husband of conjugal relations. Your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your husband. 
your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to wife. And don't deprive one another, except it be for a season, and then join yourselves again, that you, that you not be tempted by Satan. And what that is saying is that it's proper and right for a husband and wife to decide if they were fasting, perhaps not only from food, but also from uh, sexual relationships between themselves for a period of time. And if that's mutual agreement, and if it's for a limited period of time, Paul says that's all right. But then do come back together and do so so that Satan will not tempt you for your incontinence. So it's necessary, uh, God says, for husbands and wives to allow their partner and to participate with their partner in these relations. I may need to apologize for being so blunt this morning, but it's what the Bible says, and we need to know uh, what, what the Bible says. For the rest, excuse me, yes sir. Wow. Uh, thank you. Uh, the, uh, uh, the rest of the time I want to spend with the uh, statement that God made through Paul to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And love is a mutual thing. It goes both directions. I'm going to talk primarily to husbands, but wives, you remember, when, talk, when Titus said, speak the things that befit sound doctrine. If I were to say I'm going to talk about sound doctrine this morning, you'd probably think I'm talking about uh, how to be saved and uh, what's wrong with premillennialism and uh, other things that we consider to be first principles. But uh, Titus says, uh, sound doctrine is teaching the older men how to act and how to conduct themselves and the younger men how to respect and honor the older men and how the Younger women are to teach the uh, older women are to teach the younger women, among other things, to love their husbands. Uh, I'm going to use a little Greek here. I think most of you probably know these words. Uh, when the Bible says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church," he used the word agape, and by giving it that designation, as Christ also loved the church, you would know it was that kind of love anyway. But when the Bible says that older women or teach the younger women to love their husbands, the word is for friendship love. And uh, it's, it's a thing that needs to be taught. Uh, if you don't do it, if you don't have it, you can learn it. Uh, people come to me occasionally, sit down in my office, back when I was a preacher especially, and, and said, Brother May, I've, I've just got to get out of this marriage. I don't love my wife anymore. Well... The idea of Hollywood is you don't love her, you can't possibly live with her. 
But the Bible says if you don't love her, start. <laughs> love her. And with agape, that's possible because it doesn't require feelings. It requires action. It means you do what's best for her in every way that you can to show your love for her, just as Christ showed his love for the church by dying for us. And agape love, among other things, doesn't have to be returned by being lovable. God didn't love us because we were lovable. When he loved us, Romans 5 says, was when we were sinners without strength and ungodly. We were in rebellion to him when he loved us and gave his son for us. That's mankind generally, but it works out to every human being being in, in, in that same capacity. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Going back to Ephesians 5. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Uh, Some Baptist preacher or executive, I've forgotten who he was, uh, suggested one time that if uh, a husband was as loving as he ought to be, women would not have mind being in subjection to them. And that expression, being in subjection to them, created a brouhaha uh, that you wouldn't believe. All over the news, uh, feminists and others said it's ridiculous to say that wives ought to be submissive. Well, if it's ridiculous, then... God is ridiculous and scripture is ridiculous because it says very plainly that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. To their own husband, it even says, as, as unto the Lord. That does not mean, however, that the uh, husband is to rule over his wife with an iron fist. Somebody was telling me the other day about somebody who was getting married. And he said, and, and, and we've got in the ceremony that she is going to obey me. And I'm going to see to it as her husband that she obeys me without question. And she will do everything I tell her to do just like I tell her to do. Not surprisingly, about four or five years later they were divorced. Uh, that's not what scripture is talking about uh, at all. I sometimes use this illustration. Uh, some people think that that means if, uh, if I want a new boat and my, husband, my wife wants a new washing machine, I get the boat because I'm the head of the house or uh, some other things of that sort. Basically, that doesn't prove the husband's head of the house by doing that. It proves he's selfish and inconsiderate, but uh, that's about all that that proves. Uh, because while the wife is to submit to her husband, the husband is to love his wife, as Christ also loved the church. It's interesting to me that there's no place in the Bible where the Bible says to the husband, husband, get your wives under submission make them obey you. That's not found there. No, nothing like that is found. There is something said to husbands, but it's husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church. So what are we supposed to do if our wives don't submit to us as we think they ought to? Well, the Bible says we ought to love them in submission. And what is a wife to do if her husband doesn't love her like the Bible says he ought to? Well, she's to submit to him in order to win his love. That's what 1 Corinthians like what, what 1 Peter 4 says. Those are the specific things said to men and women about marriage. Uh, I don't know how to say this and be completely understood, but submission, both of a wife to a husband and for that matter of a church to the eldership, is a voluntary 
thing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I don't mean it's not commanded by God, but it is. And I don't mean there are not consequences to disobey a commandment of God, because it is. But it's voluntary to the extent that the husband has no power to make his wife love him, permit to him other than to love her. And the wife has no power to make the husband love her other than to submit to her. And if she disobeys God, there are consequences of that. She'll have to face that, or he. But the fact remains that uh, it's, 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 it's voluntary uh, on our part as a, as a human being. Uh, that's important. Uh, because, as I've said, there's no vehicle by which we are to make our wives be in submission. I uh, suggested one time to somebody who said, my wife doesn't submit to me like the Bible says she ought to. I said, well, call the cops and complain. See how far that gets you. Might get you in jail. Uh, obviously, again, it's a voluntary thing. She has to decide to, on her own, to obey God, to submit to her husband because he loves her, and he's to love his wife because she submits to him. But each is to do that whether the other does it or not. And if we do it whether the other one does it or not, then we may be able to get the other one to do what they want, that one ought to do. Randy often says, and it's true, that uh, feelings follow actions, not the other way around. If you don't love your wife, if you play like you do, you act like you do, do everything you would do if you did love her, and keep on doing that, probably won't be long before you actually do love her, because feelings follow actions. The same thing is true of many other things in the Christian life. If you don't feel like doing it, but God said do it, go ahead and do it, and you may come around to where you do feel like it, because feelings follow actions. And that's especially true in the matter of loving your wife. Among the things that husband love your wife means is certainly, number one, you're faithful to them and, and do not uh, become unfaithful sexually. Uh, there are three different kinds of adultery. The only one, by the way, that's specifically uh, uh, a cause for divorce is actual physical adultery, a sexual relationship with somebody outside the marriage relationship. But there is also a thing that would be called uh, mental or emotional adultery. Because Jesus said, the Old Testament said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks upon a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery with her in his own heart. Uh, I've had a couple of wives suggest that they were sure their husband had done that and that's, they were divorcing for fornication. Now, I've already said that, that doesn't work. Uh, but it is the case that it is very serious to lust after a woman. I want to say, though, that lust and covet, two words that are, describe sins, are similar to each other. We covet something when we want something that belongs to somebody else and want it so bad that we would do something wrong or illegal or sinful to get it if we could. And that's what coveting is. And that's also what lust is. I don't know any men, young or old, uh, 
who don't occasionally look at a beautiful, well-dressed woman and feel and express some admiration. That doesn't mean that they're lusting after her. To lust after someone is to desire her as a sex object and to uh, desire it so firmly and surely that if he had the opportunity, he would have relations with her. Uh, it's obvious that uh, the, only, the only reason we don't steal something, the only reason we don't have sex with somebody is because we don't have the opportunity or there's no virtue to that. And that's why both coveting and lust are sins. But I think it's to that degree that lust is described and I think it's helpful to realize that and it's helpful to men to stay away from lust by recognizing that that's the degree to which a lust occurs. That's the second kind of unfaithfulness. The third kind is what I call emotional adultery or emotional unfaithfulness. Um, and very often, if you are unfaithful emotionally, you may soon find yourself to be unfaithful physically. But being unfaithful emotionally is already uh, a barrier to a good marriage and uh, really a breakdown of what the husband and wife ought to do and be to each other. What do I mean by emotional adultery? Well, if there is somebody of the opposite sex in your life that you like so well that you often talk to them, spend a great deal of time talking to them, and the talk ultimately gets into intimate things between husband and wife that uh, ought to be kept private, and, uh, uh, and especially if there comes a time in your life when you are seeing someone of the opposite sex in a situation in place where you don't want your wife to know it. That's a sure sign of getting involved emotionally with somebody beyond what's proper and right. And if you find yourself in that situation, I suggest you do what Paul told uh, the Corinthians, flee fornication. Run away from it as fast as you can. If you have to change jobs, uh, if she has to change jobs, if you have to break off all a conversation with her, whatever it takes, uh, break it off so that that emotional relationship will not sort of become a physical relationship uh, before you know it and without your intending it at, at, a, at a given time. So those kinds of unfaithfulness, if we love our wives, needs to be, uh, it needs to be avoided. What does it mean for the husband to love their wife? Well, I've often said this before, but it's true and every husband and wife needs to know it. Everybody married wants to be happy and wants to have a happy marriage. That goes without saying. But not everybody who's married has a happy marriage. And not whether it's husband or wife. There are many people who are married and do not find happiness within marriage. But I can tell you an absolutely certain way by which you can find happiness in your married relationship. And that is for the husband to love the wife, for the wife to submit to the husband. When you love the wife as Christ loved the church, that means you look after her every need, put her needs and her desires and her wants ahead of your own, and provide for her in every way she wants to be provided for. 
And that will inspire submission and love on her part. And that will make for a marriage, a happy marriage. I know of a marriage right now that uh, the wife is a sweet, loving lady. The husband is abusive, uh, perhaps not physically, but uh, emotionally and verbally, and calls her all kinds of names and does all kinds of things about that. And it's just so obvious to me that he would have a sweet, loving wife that would make him very happy if he would simply love his wife enough to make her happy and to not do the things that he does that's abusive and to do the things that husbands ought to do when they love their wives. If I go into marriage thinking, this marriage is supposed to make me happy, it doesn't take long to find out in a marriage that there's not a whole lot of what I would call uh, useful money that you can use for whatever you want to. It's not already bound up in something else. By the time you pay rent, buy the necessary food, uh, take care of all the other things that are important, pay the credit card bill, uh, by the time you do all those things, there's very little discretionary money left. Uh, but even beyond that, we find out pretty quickly in a marriage that there's not very much discretionary time either. The husband usually will go off to work, go off by 8 o'clock and come back in by, by 6 or 7. Uh, the wife will be busy all day long, uh, perhaps uh, working herself, or if not, uh, carrying the children to three or four different places at the same time and uh, trying to keep up with the housework. And uh, it won't be long before you realize that time is a precious commodity. And there's not very much of it that we have the say over what we're going to do with. So if I go into the marriage relationship thinking, marriage is supposed to make me happy, then I'm going to grab every bit of that discretionary money and discretionary time that I can for myself to do what I want to do. And obviously that'll set up a, what, a contest, a fight, uh, because she will want at least some of that, maybe all of it, for herself, to do things that make her happy. And what you can end up with is two people fighting over what discretionary money and time there is and growing further apart from each other all the time. But if instead I go into the marriage relationship thing, the marriage relationship is designed for me to make my wife happy. And the wife goes into it with the idea, marriage relationship is for me to please my husband by submitting to him. And if each one of them each one of us pleases the other to the full extent of our ability and think how much more happiness each of us would have than if we decide we've got to grab all of it for ourselves and use it for ourselves. It's God's recipe for happiness within marriage. And marriages that are conducted that way, where husbands and wives live that way, are about as close as you can get on earth to heaven. But marriages that ignore that and fuss, and fight, and always scratching and always trying to get something else from the other that they don't want to give, can be about as close to hell on earth as anything else can be. Husband, love your wives. And wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And when both of those are done, happiness in marriage is virtually guaranteed. So put that into practice.
you will. A little early, that's what I intended to say. Uh, any comment or question by anybody? All right, thank you very much.